one of my favorite questions people ask when they hear me speak is, where is that accent from? So needless to say, I, normally I would let them guess where the accent is from and, uh, before I tell them. Needless to say, I have been assigned multiple, and I mean multiple countries of origin. Several years ago, I had the privilege of touring several different southern African countries, and to their dismay, they could not understand how I am not African. Instead, I grew up in one of the most beautiful islands in the Western Hemisphere. One of the many benefits of going, in the, uh, going up in the uh, northeast coast of Haiti is freshly caught fish, all right? Fish, you know, I, I love fish. And I love fishing, especially when I got to go with my dad. But one thing, I mean, by the way, it was in the real ocean, and no offense to people who only fish in lakes. That's not what this is all about. So. One of the things that I never told my dad was that I was afraid. As a little boy, I was afraid of the waves, and they were so big, and uh, the thought of going out there by myself on a boat terrified me. So I played it safe. I just stayed in the seashore, uh, you know, and, and just fish, unless I was with my dad. Because Daddy knew how to swim. So the thought of drowning was still there. But I know if that were to happen, Daddy loved me. And he would catch me. The task of evangelism and mission is to many believers what they see was for me as a little boy. We know it's God's will for us to share the gospel with the lost. We know this world is dark, uh, desperate, lost. But we, we have the answer. We have the good news of the gospel, but we're not sharing it. Why? We are afraid. Afraid of what, you may ask, and I'm so glad you asked. Afraid of being isolated. Afraid of being rejected, misunderstood, and frankly in this current culture, afraid of being canceled. The question is then, how do we move past those fears and all the excuses we make up in our minds of, not, we not, of why we're not sharing the gospel. How do we take the life-saving gospel to the lost world and thus accomplish the mission of God? If you have your Bible, open up uh, to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 
through 20, or you can follow on this screen. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, now let's pause here for a moment. Friends, whenever you read scripture and you stumble upon the word, therefore, it's time to pause and ask why it is therefore. Therefore, go. Shortly after he said, all authority has been given to me, he said, go. So the first part of our disciple making involves going. It takes reaching into the hearts of and, and communicating the good news that Jesus died for our sin and rose from the dead victorious. It is received. Uh, people need to know that there is nothing they can do to earn salvation. Absolutely nothing. It is received by grace alone, through Christ alone, and by faith alone. The proclamation of the gospel is the very message that you and I bear, and this is what we call the Great Commission. We take the proclamation of the gospel not just to our families and friends or neighbors or co-workers, we take it to the world, to the nations, as Jesus said. And when we actually share the gospel, as Jesus continued to say, expecting people to respond, there's a second part to it. But as far as going, we know there is no exceptions, no borders, no boundaries to our going. We go everywhere. So that's the going. The second part of verse 18, not just go and make disciples, talks about disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So the second part involves baptizing. That is initiating people into the conscious commitment to the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The first stage in disciple-making involves introducing new believers to God the Father who created all things and loved us unconditionally. It involves teaching them about God the Son, the incarnate God-man who was born of a virgin, who died for our sins and rose again, and one day he will come back not to be the victim or really all the mockeries they made of them. He's going to come back and be the king and our Lord and Savior. It's involved 
informing them of the God, the Holy Spirit, who gives us new life and dwells us for sanctification, empowers us for service, unites us to Christ, and supplies us with gifts for ministry in his church. That, brothers and sisters, is why we baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The third part of our disciple-making takes teaching them. Verse 20 says, teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. And, here is the reassuring promise, I, Jesus said, will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Teach them. What are we teaching? That's building on the foundation of faith with instruction in living the Christian life. Unless we teach them how to live the Christian life, the new believers wouldn't know. So that's part of our disciple-making process. Teach them. We teach them that this life is a life filled with good works, done not in order to be saved, but because we have been saved. And teach them that turning from lives of self-serving wickedness and sin to lives committed to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit marked by the fruit of the Spirit increasingly manifested in our lives as believers. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, Paul gives a list of fruit of the Spirit that should be displayed in every believer. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. You can't fake those. There's no law. There's no pretend love. You see, the Great Commission is clear. Because of the absolute authority bestowed upon our Lord Jesus, both, not just in heaven, not just in earth, but both in heaven and on earth, that is in all creation, his followers could go forth with confidence to make disciples of all nations. And along with that going, the going, the teaching, and the baptizing are not choices. We are commanded to do those as believers, but not on our own strength. Along with that going is the reassuring promise, I will be with you even to the end of the age. We know from other passages like Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that Jesus told his disciples they would receive the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, when he says, you will receive power, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witness in Judea, in Samaria, and in all the ends of the earth. We know this is not a work that was called for us to do on our own. We do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Jesus is called to us 
has the message that we are to give to the world. And for those of us who love insurance, it is backing by God's power type of insurance. So there is no doubt of why we shouldn't do it. The main verb of the commission is an imperative. It's a command. It is matetuo in the Greek, meaning make disciples. A disciple is not simply somebody who has learned something. A disciple is somebody who continuously learning. A disciple is somebody consistently pursuing after God to live the Christian life. So, if you are a believer, you and I don't get to graduate from being a disciple, okay? You're welcome. It's not just somebody who's a member of a club. It's somebody who is an active member of the club. It makes me think of the man who uh, several years ago went and paid for a new membership uh, at a local club, and years later he made a striking discovery that got him so frustrated and so upset, and he consulted the best lawyer he could find to represent him in a lawsuit to the fitness club just to find out it just turns out that having the membership alone could not change his physical conditions. He actually had to go to the gym and put in the work and work out so if he, if he was going to enjoy all the benefits of that membership. So you and I need to understand one thing. There's no such thing as inactive disciples. You are either a disciple or you're not. Matthew ends his gospel, the book of Matthew, with the Great Commission in Galilee for a reason. He wanted the Great Commission to be the last thing echoing in our minds. He hoped those who were convinced that Jesus was the actual king, Israel, long awaiting Messiah, would go on to make disciples. And as I went through the account, uh, Matthew's accounts of the Great Commission, four significant and practical observations emerge. Here's the first one. Jesus spoke to ordinary people who knew him personally. Jesus spoke to ordinary people who knew him personally. Those gathered on the mountain of, uh, of Galilee were just normal people. There were no spiritual, super spiritual saints. There were no super spiritual celebrities. They were just normal people. They had questions and struggled with doubts. They wore no special uniforms. They had probably not attended the uh, equivalent of first century prestigious Christian college and seminaries. In short, they were like most Christians, <laughs> normal people. Number two, Jesus presented a plan 
It was clear, simple, and brief. After making it clear that all authority was given to him on heaven and earth, uh, anything that, that anybody could ever imagine, he studied that plan in the form of a command. They never had a reason to wonder, now what? These would be their marching orders from here on out. Number three, Jesus was intense about the mission, but relaxed about the method. He expected all disciples to be engaged in the work as active, energized, excited participants. So every time you get to share the gospel, you should be excited. Yeah, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the way you tell a college professor would not be the same way you tell, you know, your grandchild. The, the way you tell somebody who's in a death wall would not be the same way you share the gospel with children in Haiti. However way we tell them, it is our job to tell them. We are to tell them. That's not a question. But it's God's job to do the transforming, not ours. And number four, Jesus expected obedience from all of his followers. The Great Commission wasn't given so that preachers could preach great Sunday sermons. Jesus didn't just say these words so that we could have a short and catchy motto for our missions programs. Furthermore, it wasn't just intended to be a passage where scholars and uh, theologians could read and analyze and dissect and discuss and debate. Frankly, let, let, let's put it this way. Here's what Jesus expected from us. If you, for the uh, Greek scholars and students, if you're taking note, here is it, what it is in the Greek. Jesus expects us to, well, just do it. Don't complicate it. Admittedly, I was intimidated by the vastness of the ocean, the movement of the waves on the seashore scared me. You know, it's easy for us to find reasons not to share the gospel. Excuses made because we are afraid. And guess what they are, friends? Excuses! <laughs> That's all they are. We are afraid of being rejected, being misunderstood, being isolated and being canceled. Yet, we claim to follow Jesus, who was actually rejected, who was actually misunderstood, who was actually isolated. You see, what we are afraid to happen to us is what actually happened to Jesus. We are afraid of losing a friend or two. He 
didn't come to make a lot of friends. He was alone at times. But he came anyway knowing what awaited him. He made that choice to come knowing that he would die. He would be crucified in the hands of sinners. He made that choice. Here is why. For the joy set before him, he knew what, he was, going to be, uh, what, what was going to be accomplished. Our salvation. And you know, it was all worth it to him. He could have played it safe and stay in heaven, never have to come back. But he chose to come so that you and I would have life and have life abundantly. So in our fears and weaknesses, we can know he is strong. Now, catch this. This is not, it is not our method's effectiveness or that we are wonderful preachers. The message of the gospel has God's power backing it. You know, as a little boy fishing with my dad, I knew that daddy knew how to swim. And he loved me. No matter how strong the waves were, even if I ended up drowning, he knew how to rescue me. And it made all the difference in the world to me. The threats of drowning were still there. But daddy was bigger than the threat. In a much bigger way, friends, the possibility of us being rejected, isolated, canceled, and all of these things, misunderstood and being lied to, is still there. But daddy, God is stronger than any of those. He is powerful. That means there is nothing you and I can go through while doing the work of God, that the power of God cannot sustain us through. That means as we become obedient children to take the gospel to the, to the lost world, to the nations, yes, there may be threats, but there is no threat greater than God's power. And that should make all the difference in the world to us. The truth is, God told us that we are eternally separated by our own sinful choice from him, our creator. And that's a big deal. But here's the good news. And if, before we get to the good news, for us to understand the good news, you have to understand the price for that choice we make. is eternal suffering apart from God in hell. So that is the price when somebody chooses not to follow God. But here's the good news. God himself has made a way, the only way through Jesus Christ, his son, 
Jesus is the only way. And through him, we can be reconciled to our Father. We can be forgiven and saved. And the world needs to know this. The question is, do we really believe that? Do we really believe the gospel message has power to save? Take it one step further. Do we believe it strong enough to tell our friends and families and neighbors and co-workers? His message is for everyone, near and far, rich and poor, men and women, young and old, introvert, and catch this, even for the extrovert. <laughs> so the pressure is in, on us to figure out how to do it. But instead, we need to allow God's power to work through us, even in the midst of our weaknesses and fears. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you gave it all that we could be saved. You gave your life and you promised the power of the Holy Spirit living in us to be with us as we present the life-changing, life-saving gospel. Lord, in our fears and uh, all the excuses the evil one tried to put in our minds, I pray that you help us to hold tight onto the promise that you will be with us even to the end of the age. In Jesus' name we pray.